The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck. Like a rugged half-ton Tundra, workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma, delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. And when you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. This is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. What a play! Can you believe this? <laughs> no, I can't. It's time to dominate your fantasy league. Off to the races, and he stays on his feet. This is going to go the distance. Now, here's some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, and Heath. What can we learn from last year? For me, maybe don't go RB, RB, wide receiver, bad wide receiver at that, RB in a three-receiver PPR league. And if we look at the winner from last year, we should definitely draft Devontae Adams, Cooper Cup, and Debo Samuel. That was a winning strategy in our Fantasy Football Today League. From don't Will mention Brinson. his name, though. Do not okay. mention his name. Well, I did mention it, but you talked over it, so maybe people didn't hear. Don't, don't. We not give that man credit. We'll call hey, him... I'm with Jamie. He never deserves credit. We'll call him... Until he shows up on time for one thing. <laughs> yeah. We'll call him Bill Winson. We'll just well, I mean, use it. Technically, his name is Bill. B- Bill Winson. Yeah, it is, I guess. Uh, all right. Anyway, Congrats, Will, you're the greatest ever. We're look. He had an incredible team and an incredible really year did. with with terrible picks in rounds five and six, which is another thing you learn right off the bat. You go look at some or some draft results from last year. A lot of bad picks. It's OK. It's not over on draft day. It's not even close to over on draft day. I'm Adam Azer. You heard Jamie Eisenberg. The other guy you heard, Dan Schneier. What's up, Dan? Happy to be back here, Adam. Happy to have you. Uh, Dan's you. Dan's filling in today, and he actually wasn't cool enough to be invited to the Fantasy Football Today League last year. He's hoping for an invite this year, JB. Just I'm still that. bitter about that, by the throwing way. Throwing out there. Um, Dan, when you looked, I sent you the draft results. When you looked at it, give me a lesson learned from last year that we might be able to apply to 2022. A lot of things stand out, but the first one I want to touch on because it's been such a uh, big topic and big talking point already in drafts this preseason is you hear a lot of, wow, I kind of like the running back dead zone this year, right? Like I'm hearing a lot of people like, I really like what I'm getting at running back in rounds three through five, but I'm here to tell you the dead zone is alive and well, don't fall into that trap. They're going to look good now, but they're not going to look good on your roster two months into the season. And we look at this draft and this was a hell of an ugly dead zone. I mean, We've got Miles Sanders, Miles My- Gaskin, Gus Edwards. That's an injury situation, but even so there, I mean, you're looking well, I at think, a lot I think of these. Dan, before you go there, what, what yeah. round are you talking about where it starts? Round four? I'm starting round three even here, okay. I think. Or no, I'm sorry. I'm starting round four in this one, correct? Yeah. So I should have said rounds four through six because yeah. in round three, it was a little. Well, actually, in round three is when you got James Robinson, which, again, I don't want to totally call a bust just because there was an injury situation there. No, even so great. it's like. Yeah, he was great when healthy, but obviously that's that's 
you know, so we, we can call that no boss. He scored a lot of points, but in Clyde Edwards Hilaire, that's a trap that a lot of us fell into. But if you look starting in rounds four and then going through four through six, that's when it starts to get really dicey at the position. I mean, even you mentioned Will, the winner of this league, Adam. Well, two of his worst picks in this draft were in that running back dead yeah. zone in rounds five and six. Right. He took Mike uh, Davis and Mike Trey Davis Sermon. Trap. But, but, but. You, you, you're talking about all these running backs and you started with Miles Sanders, Miles Gaston. You did leave out the one who went right before them. I did leave out DeAndre Swift because there's always <laughs> going to be one hit in the in the running back dead zone. There were more than one. No, the Josh Jacobs. Five, I mean, Josh Jacobs and Damian Harris were fine. Josh Jacobs was a volume. All right. I guess you're right. They're fine. You're not is another, wrong. Ex- you're okay, so what you're giving up though, when you're when you're taking a player like that, you're giving up T. Higgins, who goes a few picks later, right? You're giving up the upside of an actual impact wide receiver there. It's a tough conversation to have because you're you're not wrong that in a vacuum, you know, like here are the wide receivers, you know, you got Cooper Cup, Julio Jones, Mike Evans, Tyler Lockett, Deontay Johnson. There were some uh right. Chan, you're gonna have to you don't have headphones, huh? Because I can hear me on your on your speakers again. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> if you could maybe lower me, that will be fixed for the next one. Okay, thank you. Um, you do have, you know, and you have like L- Lamar. I don't know. You do have a lot of wide receiver busts here too. I kind of, I kind of think Jamie, you might be with me. I kind of resent this idea that the running back dead zone is so bad because it it sort of ignores that there are players picked at other positions that were bad as well. And I think we're a little hard on the running backs in the running back dead zone sometimes. So there are some well, there are some success stories here. I think I think we should well first we need to put this in, in context. It's the three receiver PPR league. I think you might have said that already. But we did this draft right before the start of the season. This is usually the last draft that we do. Um, you know, there's gonna be some names that we mentioned that, you know, some some unfortunate injuries, one in particular, you know, in this range is Gus Edwards. Uh, you know, we draft you drafted him, Adam, right before he got hurt. Yeah. Um you know, so, you know, s- some certain things, you know, happen, but um, I, yeah, I, I think the, you know, th- this isn't a really strong argument against the dead zone. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it, uh, like, like, I think it's, it's about identifying which guys are going to be, is there a lesson to learn of don't take Miles Gaskin, Mike Davis? I mean, is there something that's separates... chasing the pure volume guys like Gaskin and Davis? Like well, it's these all, guys it's are also just... chasing the, the one hit wonders that you can see the pitfalls. Right. You know, so it's kind of those situations. Now, you well, there's a few hits in here. Would you, would you say, Jamie, that there's more? Wouldn't you say there's more hits at the wide receiver position? I mean, you're getting big time hits. Like well, like, Higgins, you know, you, Deontay you Johnson, Cup. You mentioned one, you know, in terms of Josh Jacobs versus T. Higgins. Jacobs was a better fantasy player than T. Higgins was last year. Now, there may have been more highs for T. Higgins. I don't know in terms of, you know, how the season broke down, but just in terms of total points uh, and even points per game, it was close. Um, But in total points, Jacobs was better. So, you know, for what you're getting at that position versus what you're getting at Higgins, and again, you know, you could play it out, uh, you know, what the Josh Jacobs manager did with his receiving core and the T Higgins manager did with their running back core. Um, You know, that I think how you balance your team, but in any event, you know, getting Josh Jacobs in, in round five in this league, I think was pretty good. Here's another question to spin on this RB dead zone here. I, and I understand that if I'm looking at round five ish, I'd rather have a wide receiver there than a running back in a vacuum. But if I already have three with my first four picks, what do I do? Do I go? Do I go quarterback? I mean, do I just ignore running back? You know, it's. 
I don't see why you can't keep going wide receiver. You're still trying to win the flex. The fl- I, until you fill out all the starting positions, and even after that, I'm still skeptical. But I never believe that you have to kind of fill this thing granular. Like, you got to get your running backs. You got to oh. get your receivers. You got to get your quarterbacks. You're trying to score the most points here, and you're trying to get the best chance of breakouts. Because like, even if you look at it, like I agree with you, Jamie, you're right. In a vacuum, Jacobs and, and Higgins were comparative, even on a points-per-game basis where Higgins did beat him out. But then you look at the round before that. That's where you really have the chance at the league-winning picks, like the Cooper Cups and the Deontay Johnsons. I'm just not seeing that at the running back position there, even with a guy like DeAndre Swift who had a great year. And you're not really seeing, like, when's the last time we've had a a league-winning running back pick in that range? I can probably tell you that. um, Yeah, you probably probably know that a little further when Fournette went. (laughs) Right. Yeah. yeah I mean, Fournette eventually you get to, well, that's the other lesson to go when you go down to the Fournettes and the James Connors, which is like invest in good offenses at the end of the draft, second running backs and good offenses. Both those guys hit in similar profile. Like, you know, they were counted out in their offense. Chase Edmonds was supposed to expect to be the starter there, obviously. And then obviously Ronald Jones, there was still some hype around there, but I feel like that's when you get deeper into the draft. When you're talking about these players like Swift and these players who are going Sanders, Gaskin, these players going in round three and four at running back, I'm not seeing the league winning potential that I see with a guy like Cup or Deontay Johnson or some of these other players going off at that position. Okay. Jamie, any lesson that you want to talk about from last year's FFT draft? Um bring it to me. I mean, in in general, I I think, you know, Dan hit on a good one in terms of, you know, getting good players from good offenses if you're going to take some swings at that position. Uh I know for me, you know, and and this is probably just a very small sample size because I do so many leagues, but like I, this was our last draft and I was taking players that I just really didn't have a lot of exposure to. And that was a huge mistake by my part, you know, like Dan mentioned, you know, Clyde Edwards, I don't think I had drafted Clyde Edwards at that point. So I was like, I'm going to reach him a little bit. Uh, I reached for Kyle Pitts at that point, you know, which wasn't round four. Um, I was just taking players that I didn't have a lot of, uh, don't do that (laughs) because it, it was not a very good draft. I was able to manage my way into the playoffs, but it was just a very, very ugly team. I mean, I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll talk about our teams. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, that was the biggest lesson I learned at looking back on this. Yeah. I, that's an interesting thing to do. I don't know if you care about, I don't want to have too much exposure to any particular players or anything like that. I think that's maybe what you were getting at there, but all right, it didn't work out. And, um, you did get the four seed, I believe. Um, so even though you didn't have a great start to your drafts, you still were able to, uh, cobble together a good team. All right, we got to talk about some news and notes here, and we'll get back to the draft in a little bit. I want to remind everybody we have live streams on YouTube. Tuesday afternoon live streams are going to be at, typically at 1 p.m. Eastern. The best way to learn about these is to subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash today. youtube.com slash today. And please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts as well with your fantasy question after a nice little comment. We'd appreciate that. Uh, injuries, news, and notes. Uh, Deshaun Watson's attorney, Rustin, Rusty Harden, said there's a good possibility that the NFL will make a decision that Watson will not like. So I don't think that would be a huge surprise, uh, Dan, but what are you bracing for with Deshaun Watson, and how would that affect the rest of the Browns? Yeah, it's hard to really put a prediction on this type of news, but I think there could we could be looking at an eight-game suspension. It just seems to be what I've been reading about. And if he is out for eight games, it's going to change the way that Browns offense looks. First of all, we don't we don't expect Baker Mayfield to start here, so maybe we'll get something like Jacoby Brissett. But but honestly, if if he's not starting, I'm going to downgrade the entire offense. You could still expect that Kevin Stefanski run game with that offensive line to produce for players like Chubb and Hunt. But 
overall, you got to downgrade everyone there, especially Amari Cooper. Uh, hopefully we can find out pretty soon what's going on. Colts head coach Frank Reich said they are definitely pushing rookie wide receiver Alec Pierce to compete to start. Jamie, do you think Alec Pierce should be drafted in a, let's say, 15-round draft, 12 teams? Uh, if you have... Uh, yeah, it, he's in the conversation. You know, I, I think if you start to look at, uh, you know, dart throws, because this receiving core clearly is is Michael Pittman and then a bunch of question marks, you know. So if you if you are looking to get just somebody who has a chance to probably be in the 100 target range, um, you know, we'll see if they bring back T.Y. Hilton. There's still some conversation about that. But, you know, when you're talking about Paris Campbell and, and Alec Pierce and the guys that they have on the roster right now, it's just, Pierce has the best shot, I think, to A, stay healthy and, and, and B, be productive. You know, I was fond of him coming into the NFL draft process. You know, so he's somebody that I will definitely be taking a flyer on if I need another wide receiver, you know, fifth wide receiver type of player. Um, but he also could be somebody that you want to, if he do- goes undrafted, you know, keep an eye on for early in the season waiver wire ads. James Robinson has resumed running as he's recovering from the Achilles injury. Jamie, if Robinson is ready for week one, not saying he will be, if he's ready for week one, which Jaguars running back do you draft first? Still ETN, you know, I, you got to take a cautious approach with, with Robinson. You know, it's, we got so lucky uh, to whatever extent you got out of Cam Akers, you know, for anybody playing in playoff leagues or, you know, for, um, you know, postseason fantasy football, uh, DFS, et cetera. You know, so I don't think you can expect Robinson to be back and getting that type of work because look, Travis ETN is a first round talent. Um, they have the luxury of, they didn't have the luxury of having somebody that they trusted to that same extent. I think, you know, Sony Michelle, who knows where they were at in terms of the Rams. Um, I'm sure the Jaguars want to be cautious with James Robinson to make sure it's 100%. Different time of season, you know, different part of season. Yeah. Okay, we got Jarvis Landry, according to New Orleans football, New Orleans dot football. I didn't know you could do that. Can I make my email? Can I make like an Adam Azer dot football email address? Does that work? I don't know. Sure. Uh, <laughs> Jarvis Landry is dominating at OTAs. What do you make of that? I mean, you know, whenever we get reports like this, you got to look at the scenario. And so you have no Michael Thomas, so he's not there. And then you have a rookie in Chris Olave, who by all accounts is having a good uh, offseason as well, you know, with OTAs. But Jarvis Landry's a veteran. You know, I mean, he's going to – you show him a playbook. It's not going to take him long to know what he's doing. You know, whereas a rookie coming in is going to be like, you know, learning a different language. So. Yeah. I'd be surprised if Jarvis Landry was lost. I'd be surprised if the reports weren't positive. You know, I mean, he's he's a guy that's been in several systems at this point and, you know, should be able to handle things. I apologize if you hear the coughing in the background. My son is a little sick. So. Yeah, I apologize if you hear Bluey in the background. My son is a little addicted to uh, Bluey. <laughs> headphones, headphones. I, the headphones are broken. Um, you guys watch Bluey? You watch Bluey? No. It's, it's really good. It's really good. He is, uh, my, my four-year-old right now is playing NBA 2K on his cell phone. What are you playing? <laughs> or a baseball game. He's addicted to baseball games. Um, and he has uh, cars on his uh, iPad. So he's he is double technology. Great parenting over here. Love it, man. All right. Like, I love the screen time. Uh, Justin Jefferson said Minnesota's offense is uh, moving to a new generation, basically, is what he said. And that's what you've been excited about with Kirk Cousins. So uh, I just we know we know things are going to look a little bit different there. The Bucks are optimistic that Rob Gronkowski will resign before training camp. 
And Zach Wilson is reportedly struggling with accuracy in camp. So does that matter to you? Because Zach Wilson's a, a pretty important player for other players. You know, we need him to be good. Uh, maybe he could be a good fantasy option. Can't rule it out. But obviously, there are a lot of interesting guys on the Jets. So um, uh, what do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's going to be frustrating if you invest in Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore and uh, obviously Brees Hall or Michael Carter, you know, whatever, and Corey Davis. You know, there's, like you said, there's a lot of names there. Um so hopefully he gets uh, everything straightened out. Um, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic because I do think that he'll be better in his second year, but um, accuracy issues in, uh, in the offseason are not good. <laughs> Great question here from Patrick. Will Jamie's kids be in the podcast league? Uh, I mean, <laughs> if, they're, if they're not, I'll make room for them. We're out of spots already. Uh, Schneier's back. Hey, Dan. Can you hear me, Dan? Oh, you got to be kidding me. Terrible not, about this. If it's not Dave, then it's Dan. Dan, can you hear me? If your name starts with a D. You have I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, but uh, it's, that's not working great here. Dan, you wanted to say something about Justin Jefferson, okay. I believe. So I have a little bit of a contrarian take that I want to get both of your thoughts on. Oh. So we hear about this Jefferson. All of the talk about the Vikings offense is things are going to be great. We're moving to a new direction. We're taking our offense to the next level. But what happened? I'm a little concerned with this offense in general, specifically with the run game with Dalvin Cook, because they found so much success with Kubiak last year in a zone-based run-blocking system that we know has had success with a lot of different offenses over the years through his dad, Gary Kubiak, but a lot of success with the Texans, and then it's really a Shanahan-based run run game, the zone-blocking game. Give it to me, buddy. Now we move forward with this, you know, Sean McVay disciple, and we saw something similar happen last year with Shane Waldron in Seattle where we thought that offense was going to go to the next level and be taken to the next level. And I'm almost concerned with how this will impact both cook and Justin Jefferson, because the Kubiak offense, while I agree with him, what he's saying, it was very old school. It was based, you know, old school principles, very old school cadence, things of that nature, but it did run through the X and the Z, the two number one and number two receivers on the outside. And then the running back in the zone run run game. And I'm not so sure this is definitely going to be an upgrade that they're going to throw a lot of new things at him. We've already seen, some of these Sean McVay disciples not have as much success as the others. And so I'm almost a little bit more concerned with how this offense is going to impact Dalvin Cook because both Cooks, James Cook and Dalvin Cook, are perfect fits for the zone blocking run scheme. And I know they're going to do a lot of that with uh, O'Connell now in this offense, but it's not going to be the exact same offense. And so I'm not so sure that this offense, from a schematic standpoint, is going is going to take some is not going to take some time to kind of hit the ground running. And it's not. I'm not so sure it's going to run through the same players it ran through last year at such a high volume. Uh, well, I, I do think it's going to run through the same players because okay. they, you know, I, I think the one thing that that's a huge plus is that O'Connell and Cousins have a track record together. They're with each other in Washington, so you know the the terminology, you know, maybe a little similar, which should help Cousins. Which I think, you know, if the quarterback has everything under his fingertips, that's going to help everybody else. Um, I think the biggest thing, though, is it's not necessarily comparing O'Connell to Kubiak. It's more comparing O'Connell to Zimmer and the philosophy of I'm going to be conservative. If there's an obvious run situation, we're running. If there's maybe an obvious passing situation, we're still running, you know, because he's just so afraid of his own shadow. It, it felt like a little bit in terms of right. letting your cousins make plays. Insert cousins joke here. Uh, so, you know, we'll find out. Um, I, I do think there'll just be a little bit more of a welcome to 2022 for the Vikings where, you know, I don't know what their run pass ratio has been. It, right. I want to point this out. They've had f- last four years with Cousins and Zimmer. 
now it's off the top of my head. They've had two years where they've been almost at the bottom of pass attempts, around 30th. Uh, maybe one year where they were dead last. One year, I believe they were fourth or something like that in pass attempts. They had a lot high. That was three years ago, maybe. And last year, I think they were 11th. So I don't know that they're actually going to throw more. But Dave pointed out why he likes Adam Thielen because he can really rely on the touchdowns with Thielen more than most players because there's such a track record of Cousins throwing the ball to Thielen in the end zone or inside the 10-yard line. Another thing he pointed out was when they got inside the 10-yard line, they ran so much. I mean, so it's not necessarily, and it's kind of what Jamie's alluding to, it's not necessarily about the raw numbers. It's about the philosophy. And they ran the ball so much near the end zone. So Dave is making a case for Thielen that they're gonna, they could start throwing the ball more near the end zone. And then you could get even more <laughs> green zone, red end zone targets for Thielen. So it might be that, you know, maybe you won't see more pass attempts, but kind of like with Russell Wilson, let him throw on first down more. Um, you know, when they when they did for eight games, decide to let him cook or whatever. So it could just be philosophy and not necessarily right. throw more than they did last year because they I did think throw it's a also, lot. You know, just just to tie in Thielen a little bit, um, Thielen definitely has a big opportunity. First, he's got to stay healthy. That's the biggest thing because when he's healthy, he's great. Um, but I think we're going to see a little bit more three receiver sets. I think they'll line up, you know, a lot more trust in in KJ Osborne because of what he showed last year. I also think, you know, the presence of Irv Smith is going to probably hurt Adam Thielen and his touchdown potential because that's such a strong player in in the red zone, such a strong player that they can use that they didn't have last year. I just and I think all that ahead. makes sense, Sorry. but I think none of that quells my concern for Dalvin Cook. I guess that's where I'll focus this now. I'll take it a little bit off less what's going to happen with Jefferson in that passing game, but more with Dalvin Cook because he's going away from his bread and butter run game, that outside zone scheme that was just perfect fit for his skill set. And like you mentioned, Adam, there's going to be less red zone opportunities there. I know he's supposed to get an uptick in receiving volume. We didn't necessarily see that play out with, again, Shane Waldron in Seattle when he came over there. I'm not that always, I feel like that always is a little more amped up in the preseason around this time and it's not always definitely something that translates so I guess that's where my concern lays more I'm I see a lot of people pumping up Dalvin Cook because of the potential receiving volume upside but I think it's gonna he's gonna be hurt based on what you said in the red zone and then overall in that run game so a couple things uh, one I really can't comment on how a guy fits into scheme and that's honestly one of the reasons why I like having you on the show Different analysts at this, uh, different analysts at CBS focus on different things. Dan's really good at that, those types of breakdowns, um, so I I can't comment. I can say though that I was a little worried about Justin Herbert last year because if you looked at the end of Justin Herbert's rookie season, 2020 wasn't playing as well, and if you looked at his air yards per pass attempt, yep, they were going down, and he wasn't throwing the ball downfield as much. And they bring in this new offensive coordinator, who came from from the Saints and had one year as the coordinator of the Lions and Lombardi, and he had a terrible year with Matthew Stafford because he tried to change Matthew Stafford, and he tried to Saints, you know, make him, like, Saintsy. And I was really worried about Justin Herbert in that regard. I don't, like, he's got, in his rookie season, didn't do as well when he was throwing short. Coordinators got this track record. This doesn't look, I, I wouldn't say I was really worried. I, I, that's actually not the truth, but I was a little bit worried about that and it ended up not mattering. So I can't really, for me, I can't really feel comfortable getting into the whole zone versus man, that kind of stuff. I just, I like Dalvin Cook as the lead guy in this offense. One thing we don't know though is like, no matter how good Alexander Madison was, they would not use two backs. Would this coaching right. staff be more willing to make it a 70-30 split on a re more regular basis or 65-35, something like that? No idea. 
And we've seen that coaching, you know, that coaching tree use multiple backs in the past. So that's a that's a big concern also there too. Also, not use multiple backs in the past, right? Like when they have a guy, they've used. I mean, you know, Gurley's clearly the best example of it. You know, when when Gurley yeah. was at his best, he was the best in football. And Daryl so, Henderson, Daryl Henderson was a feature back. I'd say, like Sony Michelle did not do that much before the Henderson injury. Would you well, agree with Cam that? Akers was when he came back to. Sure. But we're, but we're, we're focusing more so on McVeigh, you know, and so it's it's always different when you get. Uh, disciples, as Dan said, you know, so, you know, Shane Waldron, you know, again, it's, it's hard to say a guy going to an established head coach, a defensive minded head coach, you know, and Pete Carroll, who's going to win those battles again, conservative, right. versus, you know, not conservative. All right. So let's take a break That's here. A great point. When we come back, lessons learned from a 2021 fantasy draft by, uh, from Bill Winson after this on fantasy football today. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. All right, here we go. Lessons learned from last year's Fantasy Football Today draft. It was a 12-team, three-wide receiver, full PPR league with a flex. So one quarterback, two running backs, three receivers, tight end, flex, kicker, DST. And as Jamie mentioned, it was one of the last drafts we did, so you're not going to see any J.K. Dobbins in there. I believe we did it Monday before the opener. Okay, and I love it. I mean, I I love that draft. We've done so many at that point, but uh, this one's like, you know, all the guys we work with, everybody who has the same sleepers, breakouts, and busts, you know everyone's tendencies and who they're going to drive, whatever. But I do love this league. Wow, make me feel worse about not being invited out. Yeah, basically all the, A, all the A-listers. <laughs> the A-listers. Yeah. So, um, Dan, did you have any other lessons? I know you had a few that you wanted to talk about. Anything else you want to discuss from, from that draft? So a couple other things I was thinking about looking at this draft. I think this is going to happen every year now, um, just based on the scarcity of the position and how – we're always just so desperate to find some points there at tight end. There's going to be one guy that gets pushed up boards and you'll see it really at its peak at the end of the draft season, like right in this style, you know, this range of draft right before the season, that player last year was TJ Hawkinson, a player who really didn't have a track record of too much dynamicism from an athleticism standpoint. He didn't have a track record of too much of a receiving option, even dating back to Iowa. He was an okay receiver. He's kind of a two way tight end. And I worry that this year, I don't want to compare the two, but I worry that there's already an emerging player this year in that mold, and that would be Dalton Schultz, a player who I'm not going to be drafting much of, I don't think. Because I think there's a lot of an assumption that with Cooper gone, Schultz is going to take those vacated targets. But if you really look how that Kellen Moore offense works, and ever since they moved away from Jason Garrett there in Dallas, it hasn't really operated through the tight end very often. And they're they're replacing talent at the wide receiver position. It's not like they're not. They went and drafted a receiver this year who they're really high on in Jalen Tolbert who a lot of people really like as well and thought if he played at a bigger school, he would have been an earlier draft pick. And they're bringing back talent at receiver too. Obviously, 
the thought right now is that Michael Gallup is doing well in his recovery and he'll be back sooner than expected. So I'm just worried about pushing up tight ends just to get a tight end. If you look at this draft, some of those tight ends that got pushed up at the end, TJ Hawkinson's the best example, but then you have like Noah Fant and all these guys who you're taking in a range where you could be taking swings at wide receiver. You could be taking swings at the AJ Dillons of the world. And so what, ra- what know, round did Hawkinson Logan Thomas went in this range? What round, ahead, yeah. what round are we talking about here? Cause I, cause right, I so love it starts with Hawkinson. Uh-huh. He was always the one who went above, above the rest mm-hmm. and Hawkinson goes off the board around five. And then you start to see the, the fans and the um, Logan Thomases in round six and seven. Okay. Cause I love Dalton Schultz right now. He's, he's one of okay. my favorite draft guys. He's going in round seven and I will say this about Hawkinson. He was on pace for 119 targets. So I don't really have a ton of regrets. It's obvious to me that he's not quite, I mean, in my, in your opinion, in my opinion, not quite good enough. And you knew it last year. I think I, I realized it this year. Not quite good enough to be a star. Um, but if he was on pace for 119 targets, I think he would have at least returned seventh round value, maybe fifth round. And I don't know about Schultz in the fifth round. But Schultz in the seventh round to me is, is great value. Um, because we do have a little bit of a track record with him. I mean, he was really good last year, and he was he was good the year before uh, when he got the opportunity. And you could say they're replacing Amari Cooper, but Jalen Tolbert is not replacing Amari. You know what I mean? Like this, he's not replacing yeah. Amari Cooper. So, round. I think you're right about round five. But I think if Dalton Schultz keeps going in round seven, I'm all over that. And I'm yeah. not so sure it will be Schultz, but there will be a tight end who will be moving up into that round five range by the time this is all said and done, I think. Yeah, yeah it, it, I mean, it could be Goddard. It could be Hawkinson yeah. again. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know if there's anybody else in that range just because it's it's a clear top five, barring injury right now. Uh, Gronk. I mean, How about Gronk? Uh, it, it could be Gronk. Uh, it certainly could be. Probably more so in non-and-half PPR than full PPR. Um, I, I think the thing about... Hawkinson, which, you know, I, I was as guilty of this as anybody was, you know, just looking at the lack of targets and the lack of players essentially for Detroit, you know, and, and hoping that he would take that next step forward. You know, like Dan said, there, there wasn't a huge track record of sustained success, but you could certainly see a path to success, which is the same reason why I like the Mauro St. Brown, which eventually, you know, materialized at the end of the season. I think in terms of Schultz, first off, uh, Adam, you know, you missed the news on this one this morning that he, uh, is uh, staying away from the team um, despite signing his franchise tag. So he's upset about the contract following the David Njoku deal. So that's something we got to keep an eye on. Also, you missed uh, the biggest news over the weekend is that the greatest quarterback ever retired. Um, and so I, I think just looking at Schultz, for example, yes, the Kellen Moore offense probably is not going to feature him, but I think that goes back to the quarterback, though. The quarterback is going to feature him. You know, Dak Prescott is... Uh, very much, I think, in love with Dalton Schultz. And I think that had to do with the reason they allowed the Amari Cooper trade to happen. Um, finance is clearly a big part of it, but you know they they felt keeping Schultz was a little bit more of a priority. Anyway, are you talking about Ryan Fitzpatrick? By the way, of course, I talked about that on. Oh, <laughs> I talked about that on. Uh, <laughs> sorry, a little cameo there from my son. Uh, I talked about that on Friday, so you know we we spent we did it on Thursday. I uh, maybe Friday morning. But oh. whatever it was, yeah. We did a whole 30-minute bonus podcast on Fitzpatrick, Jamie. I'm sorry you weren't able to make it. All right. Uh, so, Dan, that's a good lesson to be learned there. Reaching, Don't read for that tight end. Um, 
Jamie, I just want to get this one out of the way real quick. I don't think we need to harp on it, but we're going to keep bringing it up, I'm sure. There were some preseason things that led to some overreactions and led to DeAndre Swift being drafted in the fourth round, Jamar Chase going maybe in the eighth yep. round. Jamar Chase was dropping the ball. DeAndre Swift had an injury. Jonathan Taylor dropped a little bit because Carson Wentz got hurt and Quentin Nelson got hurt. So I think we're going to try to take advantage of these overreactions to preseason injuries. That's a big one for me. Um I mean, we we talked about these though when they when they were happening. You know, it was you're going to get these players at a value, and you just have to understand. You know, for you know, it, it's obviously case by case. Uh, Taylor was the one that stood out the most though, because you knew at some point Wentz and Nelson would be back, and so at at what point they're back, you feel pretty good about the situation for you know mostly for Nelson, but you know you feel pretty good about the situation for Taylor, knowing that he's going to have the guys around him, and so you know it was first the instant overreaction of. Oh my God! Don't take him until round two, and then it was—he should be a first-round pick. It's just a matter of where you take him in the first round. Uh, the other two were just silly mistakes on people that panicked. Um, how about the teams that started RB RB? So Dave had the second pick, and he went Dalvin Cook, David Montgomery, and then Justin Jefferson in round three, and then he took Deontay Johnson in round four. So, um, not bad picks. He made the playoffs. He got the five seed. I started RB RB. I did not make the playoffs. I had Derrick Henry, Saquon Barkley, Robert Woods, and Gus Edwards as my first four picks. Um, RJ at pick nine. I had the eighth pick, by the way. Derrick Henry fell to me, and I didn't anticipate having him, but I did. And then I was like, all right, let's take Barkley. It'll be fun. It wasn't fun. RJ had pick nine. <laughs> he took Aaron Jones and Joe Mixon. That's a really good start. I missed the playoffs. He had Patrick Mahomes in round three, Miles Gaskin in round four. Not really sure there are any takeaways there, but three teams did uh, did go RB RB, and the highest finish was fifth. Well, RJ is a good one because his first receiver was who? I don't know. Let's take a look. He went Mahomes round three, Gaskin round four, Hawkinson round five. So this uh, is the- Claypool. Claypool round six. Man, that's I. And then Jacoby, Jacoby Myers, Myers round seven. seven. I'll tell you, lesson. I would never, I don't think any of us would ever wait that long to take a wide receiver in this format. Three receiver PPR, round six. Ugh. Yeah, right? Yeah, if he had gone, let's say he takes Mahomes in round three because, you know, that's the range he was going. If he, he, he took Miles Gaskin over Cooper Cup. <laughs> God, you want to look back and punch yourself. <laughs> I mean, that's Robert Woods over Cooper Cup, you know? And I loved that pick. I was so excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, one of the things you learn when you look back at a draft is that just a lot of things you can't predict, right? It makes things fun. Um, I got a lot more lessons here to talk about, but Jamie, anything you want to bring up? I haven't really gotten to you. Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's a lot of the same things we've been talking about. You know, it's it's a matter of uh, don't don't panic with some of the preseason stuff. You know, like Dan said, as I said before, you know, you, you want to attach yourself to good offenses. It's always a good you know thing when you're looking at some of these players late. Um, I think RJ just proved another thing that I will always avoid. You know, we talk about this a lot and, you know, we might see a little bit more, I think, with people that go tight end early and then still want to take quarterback. If you take a quarterback and a tight end early in the first five, take a quarterback and a tight end in the first five rounds, you know, you better make sure you're hitting on your other positions. So, yeah, and they're really, if you look at it a bit and like closer, there really wasn't any value. It was almost the opposite for all these teams that went early at quarterback. It started off with Mahomes that went by a uh, back to back with Josh Allen. Good job on Josh Allen. Uh, George definitely got value on that. But really looking past that, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson coming up, I believe, all in round five. I mean, 
those are all regrettable picks that you're giving up. You're, you know, you're giving up the chance at a T Higgins, for example, there or an Adam Thielen or whoever it may be a receiver or a running back potentially, but most likely a receiver. I mean, Jamar chase went like seven picks later after these quarterbacks. What did you gain from them? I don't think any of those quarterbacks really outproduced some of these guys that hit late, like Jalen hurt the next two after that, which were three rounds later were Jalen hurts or two rounds later, Jalen hurts and Justin Herbert. Yeah. So I'm just not so sure in these one QB leagues, there's just any value to taking these quarterbacks in the after the big guys, you know, in that five, in that round five range. It's, it's so much fun to look back and go, Justin Herbert round eight. I know, <laughs> yeah. I know, yeah. Um, how about like what happened here with Jerry Judy going ahead of T Higgins in round five? There was a lot Dave, of Judy right? hype last was, year around this time. It was a Dave, but there, but there was a lot of Jerry Judy hype. Especially on FFT. Dave was as big as Judy fan you'll find. Yeah, and it's always interesting when Dave does this because then he goes the complete opposite direction whenever he gets burned by a guy. So he's like very anti-Jerry <laughs> Judy. So now he won't draft him at all? Um, I mean, look, it's it, and this is kind of, I think, you know, what we were, we were mentioning in, in terms of TJ Hawkinson, you know, what, what Dan's point was about not a tr- proven track record. You know, sometimes when you look at these players, and, you know, you can attach it to Amon Ross St. Brown this year. You can attach it to, um, you know, Elijah Moore to an extent this year. You can attach it to, if you want to, to even somebody like um, Hunter Renfro, you know, who you could see, uh, uh, you know, who's been in the league a few years, but you could see, you know, the spike and why the spike happened and now why there could be some potential downfall. Um, you know, so, you know, you see the you see the path to greatness for Jerry Judy even last year. You know, and, and and this wasn't this isn't a knock on Dave taking him at this point last year. You know, he was a little overexcited about Jerry Judy, but you can see why. But it's also going back to okay, where's the scenario? Is there a good quarterback in play there? You know, and 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 you want to talk about maybe DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett this season. You know, where those guys are with their quarterbacks. You know, look look at look at who's getting these guys the ball. We could say target volume is going to be big. Uh, it's it's a potential reason to you know get a little concerned about somebody like Deontay Johnson, for example, you know, somebody like that. So, you know, attaching your, your, your receivers, especially early round picks to guys that don't have good quarterbacks or don't have proven track records, you know, mm-hmm. unless you're pretty confident there's a breakout coming. These are the pitfalls. Is there a lesson to be learned from James Connor and Leonard Fournette? Connor went in round nine in this draft. Chase Edmonds went in round five. Leonard Fournette went in round 11 and Ronald Jones went in round eight. So both these guys were drafted significantly after the other backfield mate, and they both finished as top 10 running backs. They had tremendous years. I, you know, Injuries definitely played a role for Connor because he wouldn't have had that tremendous stuff. He would have been good, but not amazing if Edmonds didn't miss basically six games. Um, and then Fournette just won the job and just kept the job, and Giovanni Bernard didn't matter, and it was really weird. I'm, I'm hesitant to say there's a lesson here and that, you know, that this well, spin that, it forward, I, spin, spin, spin yeah, it forward. Right. So you have like the, the the first scenario that comes to mind for me is Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. Exactly. You know, yeah. we are we are over the moon about Javante Williams, and understandably so, if he gets the lead role, he's going to be a superstar. We saw it in that Chiefs game when he was involved in the passing game. You could see this offense getting significantly better with Russell Wilson. You certainly could see what he can do on the ground and, and the upside there. But <laughs> it's a big but. It's a guy that's been proven that's not necessarily done yet in Melvin Gordon that they brought back for a reason. And so I keep closing the gap on those two. I'm certainly taking Javante Williams first. Most likely I'm not getting Javante Williams because the, the, the more and more I look at it and where you have to take him, he's, he's falling out of that range for me. But it's not just necessarily that team. It's Seattle potentially. You know, Ken Walker and, and Rashad Penny. It's the Jets, Brees Hall and Michael Carter. It's um, It might be... Arizona, the the reverse, 
you know, with Daryl Williams and, and James Conner. It might be Tampa Bay again, you know. Well, what's uh, the lesson, though? I mean, what's the huh? – is it – is it target Me? running backs on good offenses? Is it this was just an injury situation? Like what? I don't even know how to frame, well, I, frame I think, it. I think the lesson would be is that if you like a backfield yeah. and you like to get a piece of that backfield and it's just a matter of cost. And so like I love Aaron Jones setup. I mean, you know, I, I mentioned it with the bold predictions. You know, he could lead the team in, in receptions this year. But there's that other guy that's a pretty good running back too. And you could get him probably three or four rounds later. And, you know, if you want a piece of the Kansas City backfield, Dan mentioned, you know, we, we fell victim once again last year to Clyde Edwards-Lear. They brought in a guy that, that has a track record when healthy on a very good offense now might be the best opportunity he's ever had in Ronald Jones. Get him later. Get Melvin Gordon later. You know, uh, I'm going to draft a lot of Alexander Madison. You know, I love the Vikings offense. And, and that's going to be somebody that I look at. So, you know, it's a matter of if you like backfields, you like offenses, you know, you don't want to pay the cost of what the starter is going to have to, you know, uh, cost you. Take that other guy a little bit later and just hope for the best. So for me, for me, it's it's a focus on like why what do these backs have in common, Connor and uh, Fournette? And to me, the number one thing they had in common was they were on a high scoring offense. The number two thing they had in common, they were on an offense that actually was willing to run the ball a decent amount in the red zone to give them opportunities. Specifically in Connor's case, but uh, you know a lot of Fournette's value in the end of the year came from some increased passing game work. But if you can find a back. And it's going to be tougher this year. Like I was looking through the guys this year. You mentioned some guys in the email. And I was thinking like, who fits this mold, right? Like on a really good offense and has a really good chance to be the, the pure red zone guy. Because if you look at it, like Edmonds the year before, it was a little bit unpredictable because Edmonds actually was pretty efficient in the red zone the year before in 2020 and was used a decent amount there too. So it's a little bit hard to predict that, but you had the track record with Connor being used in, in kind of a three down role in Pittsburgh, as well as in the passing game. So if you can find these backs that are on really good offenses being drafted second in their backfield and have a good chance to have that red zone role, I think those are the guys you want to target in these later rounds because they have so much more scoring upside than, you know, even, even the volume guys that go early, like the Mike Davises of the world and the miles Gaskins on these bad teams. Yeah. They have a lot of, they have a path to volume. They're projected to have all this volume, but the volume can change really fast. But the, the, the actual offense, I feel like, are easier to predict before the year than some of the than, than maybe the volume. Mm. I, I do want to say I, I did I was pretty much out on Miles Gaskin last year, but I don't think it's crazy that people were in on him because if you go back to 2020, Miles Gaskin was very good for fantasy. He really was. I mean, we keep crapping all over him, but he was great, and Mike Davis was too for a while. I was totally out on him because I you know I think a lot of people kind of. Read the read the tea leaves there. Guy was getting old. He had finished really poorly. Atlanta didn't look great, but whatever. But like, let, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure what the lesson is for Miles Gaskin. I I, I but think the, in both cases of Gaskin and Davis, though, Adam, they were both guys that in some ways didn't have the draft capital, didn't have the track record, yes. came out of nowhere and had a small sample size of production. Does yep, that's absolutely right. And they didn't exactly like you know tear it up. You know, both Fournette just, and Connor had a, a little op. It, you know, on yes. not only those those big seasons with Pittsburgh, but had decent draft capital. And Fournette had really good draft capital and really good early career with Jacksonville. <laughs> well, let's let, let's also not forget though the the situations. I mean, there's a reason why Fournette yeah. was going behind Jones because everything coming out of Tampa Bay was Jones is going to be their leading rusher, right? Or, or or give the opportunity to be their leading rusher. Giovanni Bernard was brought in, and we know what that was to Tom Brady in terms of that type of player. And Fournette was going to kind of be the swing guy, and it turned out that Fournette was just the best player for both roles and it worked out connor was he's going to supplement or compliment chase edmonds and edmonds didn't get the touchdowns and then edmonds got hurt and connor was a superstar you know so yep 
you know, and, and I just want to go back to what I said before. The flip side of that is, you know, when you want to get those uh, pieces of those backfields, don't overlook the stars, you know, going in, you know, the, the top tier guys. But again, it's just a matter of what you want to spend, you know. And so, like, you know, how Dan was saying, you know, taking some of these, you know, premier receivers, if you're going to go that route, that's when you start to take swings at defenses at those other positions. And that's when you start to take those running backs. I'm looking at Brinson's team, Bill, Bill Winson's team. So his final roster was pretty close to, uh, let's see, I just want to see what, do he you know, what he drafted. You know who he played in the finals by any chance? Um, because if he played George, that would be a cool twist. Uh, no, he played Marone. Anyway, uh, his final roster was Aaron Rodgers drafted, Najee Harris, his second round pick, Cooper Cup, CeeDee Lamb, Devontae Adams, Debo Samuel, drafted all of them. His RB2 was Devin Singletary, who was drafted by George, and George ended up being the two seed. So <laughs> I thought it would have been a little cruel if um, if he had drafted, if George had drafted Devin Singletary and then lost to Devin Singletary in the finals. And then uh, Dawson Knox was his tight end in the championship game. So that's really impressive. One, the, one of the funny stories about this league was, uh, I believe Will only lost one game. Yeah. Double check that. Almost positive on that, yeah. And he lost... To Pete Prisco, who is terrible at fantasy, uh, <laughs> and in the week that he lost to Pete, um, he was losing like a, a, some part of the day Sunday. But Will's team was just a juggernaut, and so Pete would various times during the season not change his lineup to put in guys that were even you know like if a guy was questionable, he wasn't really bothering um, because he was out of it. This was like you know toward the middle of the end of the season. So we were sitting there on a Sunday. We said, oh, we should. I think Pete, as a matter of fact, had Jalen Hurts. And I think it was like a Hurts, whoever his quarterback was. So we put in Hurts who had a good, like, 1 o'clock game. And, like, we just messed with his lineup a little bit to, to see if Will would notice. We were going to change it back. It was not going to be anything that we were going to do uh, to have it happen. But Pete's actual lineup ended up winning. <laughs> Will was like, you, you, you screwed with my team, my, my, my perfect season. He was saying that one. I didn't want to have, be in a league that somebody had a perfect season. He was going crazy. <laughs> Will went 15 and one. Pete went that three and 11. That all sounds right up Will Brinson's alley. So I don't, I don't deny, I believe all that story, Jamie. Yeah. All right. So don't, don't push up tight ends who, you know, aren't worthy of the, worthy of a fifth round pick. Don't overreact to preseason news. Don't wait until round six to draft a wide receiver in a three-receiver PPR league. Um, don't get too hyped up taking a guy like Jerry Judy over T. Higgins, especially when the quarterback situation is so different. Try to attach yourself to you know, backfields. If you want a piece of a backfield, maybe it's smarter to take the guy who goes later. And uh, the running back dead zone, Dan's not a fan. Jamie and I are kind of okay with it based on last well, year. I, I mean, that's a, that, you know, it's a good one to revisit real quick. You know, yeah. and Just in terms of who are the guys that are going to go then you know, for, for this year, you know, and I think it's some of the similar names, Clyde Edwards, Alaire, Miles Sanders, you know, I think, you know, you see Ezekiel Elliott's in there. Want some, uh, want some ADP? Start of it. Who? Want some ADP? Sure. All right. Starting in round four, 38th overall. This is ADP NFC? on NFC since May 1st. Brees Hall, Antonio Gibson, David Montgomery, Ezekiel Elliott, Josh Jacobs, J.K. Dobbins, Travis Etienne, Elijah Mitchell, and then all the way down to 70th overall, a gap of like 16 picks, uh, A.J. Dillon. And then, you know, Ken Walker, Clyde Edwards, E. Laird, they're in round seven. (laughs) 
A lot of names I wouldn't mind on my team, honestly. A lot of names I don't want on my team over receivers. Who are the ones you don't want, Dan? All right, let's do it again. Uh, give me there. Were, I don't want Brees Hall. I think that's a volume based projection there. So I definitely don't want Brees Hall in that offense. Antonio and what Gibson. Was next after Brees Hall? Gibson. Adam, Gibson definitely do not want. That's an easy avoid for me. Keep going. David Montgomery. I can. Montgomery has been proven to have success without a good offense, but it's just not some. I'd rather a receiver there too. So I'm probably not taking David Montgomery. Ezekiel Elliott. Zeke is the one I can get on board with because I see a path there. If he can be, he was playing injured last year and that's a good offense. So I'm good with Zeke. Josh Jacobs. Hell no. <laughs> Hell no. In that new offense. JK Dobbins. I, I don't even believe I see it because we have the points in front of him. You sent the, as this, uh, the CSV Adam, but I don't believe that Josh Jacobs scored this many points last year. I just don't, I think this is like a, well, a he's, typo or he's another one where, you know, you, you it's, it's, He's going to lose one like, Do you ever want all, him in your lineup? He caught all those passes yes. when when Drake and Waller were hurt. Right. But he should score more because the offense would be significantly better. Right, you but is he going to be the pass catcher? Yeah. But he, they didn't pick up his option. They drafted another running back. Uh, shall we keep going? J.K. Dobbins? Dobbins I can get excited about. Go ahead. Travis like Etienne? Him. Not in on Etienne. Elijah Mitchell? Definitely not in on Elijah Mitchell. And then all the way at pick 70. Like Once you get to pick 70, I mean, I think you've got some leeway here. Dylan, Walker. I like guys who have the good offenses and the talent. I just don't like the guys who are being pushed up based on volume, projected volume, because we know that that changes so so frequently. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I, but Brees Hall has got the talent. I'm a little surprised that you're Brees just Hall out has on the talent. Brees He doesn't talent. have the offense. Brees Hall. It's probably not. All right, guys. Thank you very Unless much. Not 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 ready to commit to the Jets yet, no. Right. <laughs> no. Th- thanks to Dan Schneider. Thanks for coming on, Dan. Thanks for having me. It was fun to be back on. Love your headphones, by the way. Great, great. Yeah, there will be show. improvements for that. So <laughs> from this point on, this will be the last time this happens. Promise. <laughs> All right. Uh, for JV and Dan, I'm Adam. We'll talk to you tomorrow when we talk about year two and year three wide receivers. Great values historically. So these are some players that might be able to win you a league. We'll talk to you then on Fantasy Football Today. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Is that all the, oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian Pigeon Mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.